was blown, the ball goes to the other team. See, a lot of Christians are being done in injustice because they weren't told where the line is. They're stepping over the line. Their life was falling apart, and they said, I didn't know. And God said, well, the word of of God's right there. You can find out at any time. But some people, they know the boundaries there. They're trying to sneak something past the referee. There's a guy about to, you know, uh, play some defense, and they step around them and step slightly on the line and hope the referee doesn't see. Well, our referee, God, sees all. There's nothing you can do to get past our God and what he sees. In verse 2, for ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, the boundaries we've given you. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, your holiness. That word sanctification has the idea of a journey of holiness. Sanctification is not a you weren't sanctified, now you are sanctified overnight. You know, it's a, it's a journey that a Christian takes towards holiness, towards God. Now, who ultimately oversees that journey of holiness? God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are all involved in that journey of holiness. But I think specifically the the larger burden falls on the Holy Spirit to oversee that journey of holiness in our lives. But it is not God alone. You also are involved in that journey of holiness, in the choices you make for or against the word of God, within or without the boundaries of God. You also play a part in that journey of holiness. Verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. That word vessel, your Bible might say something different. I'm reading from the King James, and that word vessel is referring to your body. That you would know how to control your body possess your body, keep your body in subjection so that it is a body that brings honor to Christ. Honor to God. You say, well, Pastor Russ, I mean, I work out. So, you know, God is definitely pleased with my body. You know, I only eat healthy things. McDonald's is like once a year, maybe if our family's good, we'll go to McDonald's. So God is pleased there. This is not a dietary passage, okay? It's not talking about your diet. It's not talking about your workout regime. It is talking about your sexual condition. If you look at the previous verse, I skipped over it. Now let's go back to it. I just read the first part. Go back now to the previous verse, verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. That's where I stopped. Even your journey of holiness, that ye should abstain, cease, stop from fornication. What is fornication? Well, fornication as... Described throughout the other parts of both the Old and New Testament. The Old Testament gives us a lot of detail on what fornication is. I'm not going to turn there. I'm just going to let you know. But if you want to do some research to clarify and confirm that what I'm telling you is true, go to the Old Testament. God lays out uh, what is fornication and and what is breaking the law in this area. Uh, The New Testament deals with it as well. Jesus even goes further than what the Old Testament deals with, which is a physical act of sexual intimacy outside of marriage. That is the Old Testament definition of fornication. Any physical act where you are having sexual intimacy with someone who is not your spouse. You say, well, I'm not married, so it's okay. Well, then that's not your spouse. Well, I am married. Okay, is it with someone other than your spouse? Then it's still fornication. It doesn't matter if you're married or not married. If you're having sex with someone who's not your spouse, it is fornication. That's the Old Testament definition, physical. Christ takes it deeper in the Gospels. And he says, you've heard it said, you know, don't commit adultery, fornication. 
He says, but those who do so in their mind are just as guilty as those who do so physically. That would be in relation to pornography. That would be in relation to lust. Now, I completely understand the human condition. I have counseled enough people uh, to know that, unfortunately, temptation, guys, temptation is a part of our life in all areas, right? Sexual pride in all areas, we must be confronted with temptation because we lived in a cursed world in cursed bodies. Do not assume that the temptation is the sin. It is not. The temptation, those thoughts that you didn't ask for that come into your mind, that is not the sin. When you dwell on it, when you act on it, when you consider it deeper, that is the sin. When Christ says those who lust after a woman have committed the act of adultery, he is not stating those who've been tempted with a thought are committing adultery. He is stating those who who dwell on a woman with the intent of evil thoughts staying in their mind, that is now adultery, or as this text states, fornication. The moral compass. Now, folks, this is going to make some of you uncomfortable. It'll make some of you uncomfortable because you have been stepping outside the boundaries. You knew it or you didn't know it, one or the other. It's uncomfortable to know that you've been stepping outside the boundaries, whether in the physical act or on the emotional and the thought act. You've been stepping outside the boundaries. It will make you uncomfortable. It'll make some of you uncomfortable to know that you used to step outside the boundaries, and this will bring back some regrets in your life. During this message, inevitably, as I preach through this message, you're going to think back on the choices you have made and the regrets you have in your past, and it's going to bother you a little bit to know that you at one time in your life have stepped outside the boundaries. Unfortunately for you today, it's not my job to make you comfortable with the boundaries. That's unfortunate for you. My job is to give you the boundaries. My job is to give you scripture. It is the Holy Spirit's job to bring you back in the boundaries where is the comfort level, okay? If you want to feel comfortable with God, you got to be in the boundaries. That's where the comfort is. It's not my job to make you feel comfortable outside the boundaries of God's word. A lot of pastors have overstepped their authority and do that exact thing. Now, this message has nothing to do with the LGBTQ movement. I'm not even going to be addressing them really throughout the message. It is interesting to me, to me though, that a lot of pastors, uh, they will preach hard on the LGBTQ movement, which is outside the boundaries of Scripture, but they are very soft if, if, if they even address at all uh, those who are straight, a man and a woman sleeping together, living together as long as it's a man and a woman. They're okay with that. They won't address that. They won't preach on that. They won't deal with that. They will only deal with two men or two women. Look, it's all outside of God's boundaries. It's not the pastor's job to choose which one outside of God's boundaries is addressed and which one is not. This text is not dealing with the the lifestyle of the LGBTQ movement, so neither will I. This text is dealing with, specifically, fornication, man and a woman, outside of marriage. And so that is what we're going to talk about this morning. I see three main points that need to be discussed today. Um, I see, first of all, in number one, that we need to make sure that we are uh, looking at our actions. Let's take a look at verses one and two. Chapter four, verses one and two. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to work and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Letter A, our actions teach louder than our words. 
Our actions teach louder than our words. This statement's nothing new. You've heard it said before in various ways. I just changed it a little bit. Your actions will teach louder than your words. And in verse 1, the Apostle Paul, speaking to the believers in Thessalonica, is saying, do what you see us do. Live in the boundaries of which we live in. Follow the guidelines that we've shown you, not just that we've said to you. Now, folks, here's the problem with fornication. Fornication affects a lot more people than just you. We're going to see that here shortly. Fornication definitely affects you. It affects you on a spiritual level. It affects you on a deep soul level because you are a human being who is not only physical. You are also emotional and you are also spiritual. And when you are living outside of the moral boundaries of God's word, then you are affected on a soul level, on a spiritual level, because you are rebelling against the God you claim to love. You could choose to step over the boundaries. You can't decide whether that referee blows a whistle or not. Now, it also affects you on an emotional level, because God designed intimacy to be within a marriage. And when you choose to be intimate in any way, in your mind, through lust, or physically, you are going against God's design for intimacy. That will affect you emotionally. And of course, the physical is increased as you are with multiple partners. I'm not going to get into that. This is not a, a, a doctor's uh, suggestion to you, but obviously the physical can also be affected. But let's talk about not just you today. You see, the people you love, others, are also affected by your choice to step outside God's boundaries. But you know who are the most? The children in your life. There is a pattern. When you find a parent living in fornication, you often find the children living in fornication. Honduras, I hate to call them out, Chris, but Honduras is illustrative of that pattern. Over and over and over again, young men and women are sleeping around together it's not just Honduras, it's all over. America's, I think, quickly catching up to that kind of lifestyle. And the children grow up without a mom or a dad, sometimes both, oftentimes one or the other, because the parent, they were conceived in fornication, and the parents continued in fornication. These kids, all they know is fornication. So, Chris, what do they do? They grow up and repeat the cycle over and over and over again. And these children are losing their innocence at three years old, four years old, six years old, eight years old. Why? Because fornication affects children the most. Look at your child and ask yourself, do I want my child, my 8-year-old, my 12-year-old, my 16-year-old, do I want them sleeping around with partners of which they are not married to? Do I want them living in fornication? You say, of course I don't. Well, then you've got to show them what it looks like not to. <laughs> do I want my child living in a, in a lifestyle of lust? Of course not. Well, then you've got to show them what that looks like not to. Our actions teach louder than our words. Think of the children. Let's go to letter B. We cannot thrive when we create our own rules. Verse 1, you saw the first part. Let's go to the second part. So ye would abound more and more. What does that word abound mean? It means thrive. It means increase. It means go further. God wants you to increase more, to go further than you ever have, more and more. That is God's heart for you. God's heart for you is not to stay still, spiritually stagnant, emotionally going backwards. God always and forever wants his children to abound, to increase, to move forward. And how does one abound more and more? Verse 2, for ye know 
what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. God's commandments, Old Testament, New Testament, you need to understand this. They do not make you perfect. They don't make you more righteous in the sense of, well, I follow God's commandments, so therefore I'm more righteous than that person who doesn't follow God's commandments. Okay, Pharisee. Yeah, we know how that worked out in the New Testament, right? Christ was constantly calling out people who thought exactly that. I am better because I do better. That's not how it works. It is very possible to do better and to be worse inside. The Pharisees, the Sadducees proved that 2,000 years ago, and there are no end of Christians still proving that fact today. So abounding more and more isn't going to necessarily be applied to your spiritual condition in the sense of, because I do what's right, I am a better person. No, there's still things going on in here, and there's still things going on in here. If you want to become a better Christian, draw closer to Christ. Because the word Christian means Christ-like, little Christ. Become a better Christian by drawing closer to Christ. That is how you achieve a better reflection of Christ, drawing closer to him. Well, then what's the point of the laws? What's the point of the rules and the guidelines and the boundaries? If I become a better Christian by drawing closer to Christ, then why do we have the boundaries? The boundaries are to protect you from your own self-destruction. The boundaries are to keep you from having a life that is wasted on sin. God gives you boundaries. Not to say those who stay in the boundaries are better as people than those who don't. He gives you the boundaries for your own protection. For the protection of your children, your spouse, yourself, your friends, your church. It's for our protection that the boundaries are there. Not for our spiritual condition that those who are in the boundaries are automatically better Christians. I've already told you that cannot be the case. Christ proved that in his many conversations with the Pharisees. So, Christian, do you want to thrive? You cannot thrive while also self-destructing. They don't go together. You are either thriving, heading towards success, or you are heading towards destruction. Staying within the boundaries, the moral compass, the moral code that God has given us allows you to have success in this life. Pair that with the connection with God, and you're going to really thrive. You need both, not just one. Having a dead love for God, having a religion of works where I stay in the boundaries because it makes me look better, it makes me feel better, I don't self-destruct, but there's no connection with God, that's not what God wants from you. But also, having a connection with God and pretending there are no boundaries, that's not what God wants for you. God wants both of them for you. When we create our own rules... And step outside God's boundaries. You will not abound more and more. Verse 2, you know what commandments were given by the Lord Jesus. These boundaries are not set by me. Look, there are churches out there that have plenty of boundaries. And you would say, where is that in Scripture? Where is it in Scripture where I can't have a beard? Well, that's not a boundary in Scripture. We make it in our own church. Why? Well, because in our community, we feel like uh, it's a poor testimony to have a beard. So you're creating a boundary on top of the Bible's boundaries because of the community you're in. I understand the idea. Let's just make sure we're saying that uh, it's not scriptural. If you're going to give a boundary, this is pastoral boundary. I'm not giving you a boundary that is pastoral. I'm giving you a boundary that is scriptural, as was given in 1 Thessalonians by our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, letter C, 
For the believer, holiness is not perfection. It is reflection. Verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Sanctification is that journey of holiness, as I said. When you are on that journey of holiness, that does not mean you are attaining perfection. It does not mean you will attain perfection this side of heaven. You will still always be a sinner who is in need of a savior until the day you die or are raptured. All right? You're living in a cursed world with the cursed body. Sin is a part of every day of your life. Your journey of sanctification or holiness is not a journey towards perfection in this life. It is a journey towards reflection. You want to look more and more like Christ. The further you go in your Christian life, the longer you are a Christian, the more you are in God's word, do people see more of Christ in your life or less of Christ in your life? If they see less, that's a problem. A problem for you and a problem for those watching you. There are plenty of people who I've spoken with that said, I don't go to church. Why not? Because of the Christians that are there. On one side, I say, well, there's people like that everywhere. You go a lot of other places where there's crazy people, right? You go a lot of places where there's hypocrites. Why would you not go to church? I understand we're crazy sometimes. I understand we got hypocrites here. But, hey, you go other places. The other side is this, though. I get it. They say, why would I go somewhere like everywhere else when I can go anywhere else and see the same kind of people there? Why bother going to a church if it's not different than the mall? I'd rather be at the mall. Why bother going to church if it's not different than the park? I'd rather be at the park. The only reason I'd go to church is if it's different there. Well, what is the it? The it isn't the building. The it is you, the people. The only reason I'd go to church is if the people at the church are different than where I normally go. Otherwise, what's the point? Well, the point is God. Yeah, but you're talking about people who don't get it yet. Right? If they got it, they'd be there. For them, you are to them the church, and as you should be. You are the one reflecting God to them, as it should be. Then once they come here and they meet God personally, they'll care a whole lot less about you and more about God. But that's only once they've been here to see God. But they're not going to come here to see God if when they see you, they don't see God reflected in you, Christian. When you step outside of the moral boundaries set by God and you fail to reflect God to others, you might be the very one pushing them away from God. We are called to sanctification, which is a journey of holiness, which is for the goal to reflect God to those we love and to those we've never met before. Reflect our God to them. Let's go to this second group of truths I see here beginning in also in verse 3, letter A, sexual intimacy is not God's gift to mankind. It is God's gift to marriage. Also in verse 3, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Sexual intimacy is not a gift God gave to all of mankind. Here you go. I want you to enjoy intimacy, and you deserve this, and go ahead and just have a ball, and do whatever you need to do to just make yourself happy and fulfilled. My gift to you, God says. No, that's not how it works. It is God's marriage gift. God's wedding gift. By the way, that's not the only one. Plenty of other wedding gifts that God gives when you make the decision to commit to someone else for a life. 
God says, I got a bunch of wedding gifts I want to pour on you, a bunch of blessings I want to pour on you that someone who's not married doesn't get. Now, those who are not married, it's not that God loves you less. It's not that God has less planned for your life and to use you in your future. But God says, I've got special wedding gifts for those willing to make that commitment. And one of them is intimacy. It is a wedding gift that God offers with his blessing when you're married. Now let's talk briefly about what that looks like for the Christian. The boundaries that God has set. Does God anywhere in his word state that a marriage must be before a judge? Must be before uh, some type of city official that signs a paper? No, God's word does not state that. A lot of people say, well, I am married. Are you? Yeah, I'm uh, in a commonwealth married. We've been living together for 30 years. I might as well as be married. My question to them is, okay, have you ever publicly made a commitment before God and at least your spouse? At the very least, have you made a public commitment, a public covenant, because that is in the Bible, this public and, and, and uh, personal covenant between God and the person you're marrying that I want to marry you and I want to be with you for life. That is what marriage is, committing to one person for life. That is marriage. Have you ever stated that out loud before God and the person you're marrying? And they may say, yes, we've, we've had a little marriage ceremony in our front room. I've never had someone say that. Let's just go down this bunny road, uh, tra- rabbit trail. Okay, let's go down there. And someone says, I've had that little ceremony in my house. We've, we've made that statement before us and God. Therefore, we are married. Well, God also says to obey the laws of the land in which you live. Obey the authority that is over you, specifically government-related, as an individual. And in our country, marriage is only legal when done under the laws of this country, which now does include some type of city official or representative who can confirm that you are actually making that covenant. That was not always the case. 300, 400 years ago, there was no such thing. People made a a marriage commitment before a pastor, and the whole community recognized them as married. That was just how it was. There was no need for papers signed, things like that in a lot of areas. There wasn't people to do that kind of thing. But the culture and the time you've lived in today... To obey the laws of this land would mean to go a step further. To not only make that commitment before God and the one you're marrying, but to make that commitment in a legal way before someone who has the authority to recognize that commitment. So you can call your living together a marriage if you'd like, but that's not what God calls it. God calls it fornication. Living together outside of that commitment is fornication. You are disobeying the laws of the land. And let's be honest, you haven't really made that lifelong commitment with the person. Otherwise, you would have got married by now. What reason would you say to, well, I am going to be committed to you for life, but let's not be married? Like, what kind of logic is that? Either you're going to make the commitment or you're not. Otherwise, you're just playing a game. And anyone with a pair of eyes can see exactly what you're trying to do, manipulate. Not just the person you're staying with, not just the person you're sleeping with. You're trying to manipulate yourself. You are trying to to actually, in your own head, justify your fornication. And you're manipulating your mind to convince yourself this is okay so that we can keep doing what we're doing and enjoy the wedding gift without actually getting married. Now, I know most in this room, this message has nothing to do with you. You are married, you're not married, but you're not in any way stepping outside the boundaries of God's word. You say, Pastor Russ, why are you preaching it then? Because it's here. I'm preaching it because it's here. And for those who say, I'm within the boundaries. I'm not living outside these boundaries, so I can just, you know, turn off 
the message and put my head back and not worry about it. Let me tell you this. It's important for you as a member of this church to recognize the boundaries that we as a church also follow and recognize. Do you want to be in a church that knows the boundaries, follows the boundaries? Does that in any way concern you? I think it does. So even if you are married or not married and don't intend to be married, it's good to know where we believe as a church the boundaries lie. Let's go to the next letter, letter B. There is no honor in self-destruction. Verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, meaning the opposite of fornication. Those who live outside the boundaries of God's word, there's no honor in that. Those who manipulate for some kind of physical gratification, there's no honor in that. Those who make their own rules, there's no honor in that. Honor is when someone looks at you with respect. The church should not be showing respect towards those who create their own rules. The church should not be showing respect towards those who live in self-destruction. Show love? Oh, most definitely. All day, every day, show love. Show compassion? Most definitely. The church is called to show compassion and love. Love is is uh, how you treat someone. Compassion is how you feel towards them. We need to feel compassion towards all, whether they live within the boundaries or without the boundaries of God's word. We need to show them the love of God, kindness, uh, patience. We need to show them God's love, whether they live in the boundaries or outside the boundaries. But respect is when you look at someone and say, ah, I wish I could be like you. Ah, I wish I had what you had. Oh, man, I just, when I look at you, I think that you are headed towards success. That's respect. The church should not look at those living outside the boundaries with respect towards their choices. I can tell you God does not. God loves them. God has compassion on them. But there is no honor when someone is self-destructing. And fornication is self-destruction. Letter C. Those who follow God are bound by his law. Those who follow God are bound by his law. Verse 5. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. That word concupiscence, you might have a different word in your Bible. It is similar to lust, but it actually specifically means uh, lust towards sexual sins. A desire towards sexual sins, anything that would go against God's word. Not in the, because by the way, you know, lust can be applied towards food, lust can be applied towards possessions. A lust is just something you do not have and you want desperately and are willing to get any, do anything to get it. That's lust. We often think of lust in our own culture as towards intimacy, but that's not always the case. In this text, God is giving us specifically lust of physical intimacy of which does not belong to you because it's not within the boundaries of marriage. Do not live in a constant desire of wanting something that was not intended for you. Do not gain, do not fulfill that desire of what was not intended for you as the Gentiles do. As those who do not follow God, as those who are not believers, as those who do not hold to the truth of God's word, they are not binding themselves to the law of God and they live their life however they want creating their own boundaries of self-destruction, God says, we aren't them. We have a higher calling. We have the word of God. The boundaries have been set. We 
need to follow God's law because we claim to follow God. I am not saying if you're going to step outside the boundaries and just abandon God altogether, live however you want. I don't say that. I wouldn't preach that. I wouldn't want that. I am saying come back in the boundaries. I'm not saying we want to abandon you. I'm not saying God wants to abandon you. No, if God wanted to abandon you, he'd make that very clear. Whereas God has stated he seeks to save the lost. God's out looking for you, not looking to abandon you. We want you to come back to God in the boundaries that he has set for your own benefit and the benefit of those you love. The benefit of the one that you are sleeping with. They benefit when you follow and stay in God's boundaries. Our final three section or three points tonight, verse six, or this morning, excuse me, let's turn to verse six. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. Letter A, immorality affects those closest to us. I said that at the beginning. We see that now in verse six. Don't defraud your brother. That word defraud means to uh, affect them in a negative way. Do not do something that harms them, hurts them, defrauds them. Essentially, that word defraud not only means of, of affecting them in a negative way, but has the idea of doing them an injustice. When you defraud someone, you've done them an injustice. You see, living in fornication and physical intimacy outside of marriage is an injustice, not just between you and God. It is an injustice in the one you're staying with, sleeping with. It is an injustice to their family. It is an injustice to any children you might have in the future. It is an injustice. You are defrauding others by fulfilling your lust for sexual intimacy outside of marriage in any way. It is an injustice being done. I know we live in a world that would literally go crazy to hear this message today. I recognize that. I recognize that most college campuses would have already been throwing things at me, standing on the chairs, jumping up and down, or leaving most young college-age adults. I recognize that because not just in college, folks, in high school. The opposite of what I'm preaching today is being taught. The opposite. In every way, the opposite is being taught. Not just in high school, in middle school. The opposite of what I'm preaching is being taught. You say, to middle schools are only 11 and 12. Yeah, schools are handing out... Um, various forms of contraception to 11 and 12-year-olds. It's happening. They have access to counselors for abortion in middle school. It's happening. I lived in a city one time years ago, not Connecticut, where the local middle school and high school had a nursery program where the young students, female girls, could bring their infants so they can continue middle school and high school. It was not only accepted, it was almost downright encouraged, if not outrightly encouraged. I recognize the world we live in would say the opposite, would go crazy to hear me say what I'm saying to you. College, high school, middle school, and now, as of recently, elementary. But folks, we're not the world. And I am making you, I am confronting you with a choice. As a parent of children, are you going to present to them the world's boundaries, which do not exist, or God's boundaries? I'm presenting you with a choice. Are you going to live the boundaries that God sets or create your own? Your friends, those closest to you, you love them. You have compassion on them. That never changes.
but will you respect and honor their own self-destructive choices, breaking God's boundaries, living in whatever boundaries they choose for themselves? You aren't helping them. You're enabling them. The world needs to know there are boundaries. It's not your job to preach the boundaries from every corner of the street. It's your job to live the boundaries and to reflect your God to them. Live the boundaries. And then when someone asks a question, you have the authority to give the answer because you've been living in the boundaries. Letter B. God's path for our lives has boundaries. Not just in general, but look at this, verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. God wants to take you somewhere. It's not that you're in a circle purely where you can't ever move, only stay in the circle. I know that's how I described it earlier. Let's change that now to a path. And now God says, here's the path towards success. Here's the path towards peace, towards comfort, towards happiness. Here's the path towards a connection with me. Here's the path. Do not step off the path. Stay in the boundaries that I have set as you follow my calling my will for your life. Folks, getting here to there is important. You know what else is important? How you got from here to there. That's also important. The truth is, most of the children in this church and school are going to get there in the sense of they're going to turn 30, they're going to turn 40, they're going to turn 50, they're going to get to there, whatever there is. How will these children look physically? What will here to there do to them physically when they get there? How will they look when you look them in the eyes? When the children that are now middle school, high school, when the young adults, college age and beyond, when they hit 30 and 40, what will they look like when you see their eyes? Well, they got to 40. That's all that matters. No, it's not. (laughs) How did they get to 40? How did they get to 50? How did they get to 60? How did they get to heaven? I'm not even saying necessarily through Christ or not through Christ because the only way is through Christ. I'm saying how will they get to heaven in the sense of what what will they do along the way? How will it affect them along the way? There is a path. There are boundaries. And it's not enough to just get there. How you got there matters. It matters to you. It matters to God. And it matters to those who love you. Let her see and we're done. Morality is not so much an obligation as it is an opportunity. Verse 8. He therefore that despiseth, what does that mean despiseth? That means rejects the boundaries of God, ignores the boundaries of God, refuses to follow the boundaries of God. Those who despise it, despiseth not man. That is so very important for us as a church to remember. Those who choose to live outside the boundaries that God set for the marriage, the wedding gift that is to be received within the wedding, those who choose to live outside it are not doing so against you or me. Personally, guys, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I am not personally offended by those who live outside the boundaries. We've had many folks who come and visit our church that live outside the boundaries. I love them. We have many folks whose kids go to our school 
and the parents are living outside the boundaries. I show them just as much love. You would not be able to tell the difference. When I speak to someone who I know is living outside the boundaries, to someone who is, you would not notice a difference on how I treated them. I'm not personally offended by them living outside the boundaries because it's not against me. That's against God. I'm sorry for them because I know there's a better path. I know they can find success. I know that from here to there, they're going to suffer, and it will, it will cost them. I'm sorry for them, but when I talk to them and, and, and laugh with them and tell jokes with them and, 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 and shake their hand, it is just as fun and just as a firm handshake and just as sincere as those living in the boundaries because I'm not God, and your sin is not against me. When you live outside the boundaries, you're despising God, verse 8, but God, who hath also given us, given unto us his Holy Spirit. Your rejection of God's boundaries is a rejection of God himself. I'm not saying a rejection in the sense of you're going to go to hell if you live outside the boundaries because our salvation is not dependent on what we do. Our salvation is dependent on what Christ did for us and our faith in what he did. There are plenty of Christians who are saved living outside the boundaries, plenty of them. But Christian, you have a higher calling than just to be saved. You have a calling towards sanctification, a lifestyle that leads towards holiness, a reflection of your God. That is your calling, to reflect your God to a world that is overly confused on many levels about many things. The world needs to be reminded there is a God. He has boundaries. He has a path. His is the one towards success. And if they want to see what God looks like, they should be able to do so by looking at you. You are not God. Do they see a reflection of him in you? If you're living outside the boundaries, unfortunately, that reflection is not nearly as clear as it could be. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for the reminder this morning. Many in this room, it wasn't a reminder out of necessity for many in this room, living within the boundaries of marriage and enjoying the blessings of marriage. This message was more of a reminder of what we believe as a church. For those listening online, for those in this room who maybe I'm not even aware of that have been struggling with these boundaries, married, unmarried, physical, maybe in lust through the view of pornography, Lord, whatever it might be, you know their hearts and that's what matters. I don't need to. I'm not their God. I know that. I pray that you would remind them this morning that ultimately they answer to you and that they would do so this morning, that they would get right with you, step back in the boundaries and do whatever it needs to be done to live that life of not only safety, but success. As the pianist plays, I'm not going to ask anyone to come forward for a message like this. There's no, I think the, the benefit is far outweighed by the, the negativity of coming forward, but I am going to ask you from your seat to consider what was taught. Aren't you glad that I don't look for passages like this and preach them every Sunday? Aren't you glad that God's Word doesn't just give us books and books of passages like this every Sunday? Isn't it great how in the months and some of you years that you've come to this church and I've preached through the Bible, these are rare. This goes to show you the kind of God you serve. 
Yes, there are boundaries, but God has a whole lot more encouragement and comfort and, and text of love than he does boundaries. But this morning wasn't one of them. I know that. This morning was hard to hear. A little uncomfortable. I know that. So what will you do with the truth that was given to you today? What will change for you? What will change about your future, about how you talk to people? What you do or do not accept or enable? For some of you, it's been a struggle. I know we've got folks that are single in this room. And you have been prone, maybe, to accept the world's definition of what is acceptable. Well, that if you go down that road, there's no end. Some of you need to seriously consider the boundaries God has set forth towards success and make the hard decision. before we dismiss.